Welcome to the BizTimes MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. I'm Arthur Thomas, Managing Editor at BizTimes Media, and I'm joined on this week's podcast by BizTimes Editor Andrew Wyland, as always. Andrew, how are you doing? Good. I'm very, I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. It's a Friday, so you know, it's always good news. Um, well, we'll uh, in a minute here get into some of the the big stories of the first half of the year. Uh, but before we do that, want to take a quick moment to uh, do our insider story spotlight. This is a chance for us to highlight some of the stories that were available only to BizTimes insiders. Uh, if you are already an insider, thank you very much. We really do appreciate that. It helps support our work, makes what we do possible. If you're not an insider, consider signing up. Go to biztimes.com, click on the subscribe button, and for the equivalent of $9 a month, you can get access to all of our stories, discounted event admission, and some other benefits. So please do consider subscribing. Andrew, what is your insider story spotlight this week? Uh, we had a story about Husco. Husco is uh, a manufacturer in Waukesha. They make components for um, for vehicles, both automobiles and off-highway vehicles like uh, construction equipment, tractors, forklifts, things like that. Um, and it's a it's a grow, you know rapidly growing company. Um, they in late May had an announcement about a record-setting contract for them. It was, a, it was a $113 million deal. Um, per year, right? Yes, $113 million per year, um, multi-year. It was going to be eight years. So $113 million per year, eight-year deal. Um, it was to make an engine management system for an unnamed client. Um, their clients are some of the biggest in the auto, in the auto industry, GM, Ford, um, Subaru, uh, and, and others, uh, other big names. So I could just imagine who this would be for. Um, so it was exciting news. You know, the company was talking about adding 50 jobs, uh, as part of this, but then this week they announced that unfortunately that contract has been canceled, which was pretty surprising. So, so shortly after it had been announced, it's <laughs> a month or so later, it's canceled already. But then they also announced, and some good news, was that they had a new contract, this time a $50 million per year contract. Now it's, it's a five-year deal um, for, for work, work on uh, electric vehicles uh, to improve their efficiency, to improve battery life. Again, an unnamed client. So it could be the same company that the other contract was with or maybe not we just don't know um so disappointing to hear that they lost that really big deal but good news that they got this other one they're talking about adding 30 jobs um to service this contract so certainly interesting things going on over at husco definitely and that i mean the ramirez family they're very active in the community um been behind the saint augustine prep school on the Milwaukee South side. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see them kind of navigating. I mean, we're all, you know, potentially going to be navigating this transition between uh, internal combustion engines and EV powered 
um, you know, electric vehicles and, you know, it's, they do a lot of work on powertrains. So, you know, that's, I'm sure a tricky transition. I think I've talked with, um, Austin Ramirez, the CEO about kind of that transition before. And, and his, I think if I recall correctly, his, his thoughts were, you know, around, well, I think it'll, it may go slower than people, you know, think it will. Um, but we've also seen a lot of the big automakers, you know, make announcements and targets and goals and plans to transition to all electric vehicles here in the not too distant future. So, you know, good to see them, you know, navigating the transition, uh, even if it's at the expense of what was a really big contract and is now a still big contract, but uh, not quite the same size. Yeah, the shift to EV is happening. It's, it's going to happen. Just a question of, you know, how long it takes. Yeah, certainly. Well, my insider story spotlight this week is on uh, a leadership transition at Bright Sellers, which is a Milwaukee-based startup that does a monthly wine subscription service, um, which I can confirm um, is it's a good service. They definitely deliver on a monthly basis. And I, we may, I may have used it as a Mother's Day gift and that somehow transitioned into a, a monthly thing. Uh, well, you know, we did end up with, I think, more wine than we could consume. So, um, oh. that's, uh, you know, it was a good the, one. The, it was good. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's, it's fun that, that you do kind of a questionnaire thing of to match your tastes and then they, they send you wines based on that. And, um, you can go and I think rate, you know, the wines they send you and then, use that to kind of dial in your, your tastes. Uh, so it's kind of, it's a cool concept. Um, so the news this week is that they have a new CEO, uh, Joe Megabo, um, is taking over and leading the company. He was previously, uh, the CEO of a Utah based company, Purple Innovation, a manufacturer of comfort products, including mattresses, pillows, cushions, sheets, and bases. Um, so he'll be taking over as CEO. Um, kind of interesting part also is that, uh, Richard Yao, who was previously the CEO of Bright Sellers and a co-founder of the company, um, kind of asked the question, okay, the, the initial release didn't really mention him. It's like, okay, well, what's, what's happening with him? He'd, you know, been a, a fixture of the Milwaukee startup scene for the number of the last few years. And it's kind of question of, okay, what's going on here? Um, he had a LinkedIn post that, uh, reporter Ashley Smart, um, saw that basically said he was, you know, planning to stay in Milwaukee for a different opportunity. Didn't specify exactly what, um, but, uh, kind of discussed, you know, leading the company. And we got a, a statement from the company that actually has since added to the story that, um, he's going to be staying on, staying on the board. Um, so kind of, you know, tracking down the details here. Um, Ashley did a great job reporting this out. She mentioned, I think she also did a lot of the work on the, been covering the Husco thing for us as well. Um, so just interesting details as they, you know, um, continue to evolve and, and, uh, and they've grown, it says to 40 million in revenue, um, annually. Um, so that's not a, a small company, certainly. And they've, they've grown well and it's been kind of a, you know, one of the, a few years ago was really maybe the kind of darling of the Milwaukee startup scene. They'd come um, from Boston, um, former county executive, Chris Abley um, had in his personal capacity, invested in the company, I think if I'm not mistaken and um, helped attract them here. 
Um, and so it's kind of part of the the effort to grow Milwaukee's startup scene. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where they go from here, if they can continue to scale and grow into a bigger business. With that, we'll transition uh, to our big story of the week. And really, it's a, a number of big stories. Uh, I gave Andrew a homework assignment of sorts. Uh, we're working on our mid-year economic trends issue. Um, that'll be out at the end of the month. Um, and the assignment for Andrew, and I, I did it as well, was to come up with our own lists of the five biggest stories of the first half of the year in Southeastern Wisconsin business. So Andrew, what do you think? Should we go one to five here or five to one? Five to one. Let's go five to one. Sure. All righty. Sounds good. Well, let's start off. Um, uh, what do you have as number five on the list of biggest stories uh, for Southeastern Wisconsin so far this year? So my, my number five is a story I, Person did a lot of work on for us. Um, it was the fish that got away. Um, Intel um, earlier this uh, earlier this year uh, had a major announcement that in the Columbus, Ohio area, it was planning to do a massive um, chip manufacturing complex um, that would be you know more than 3000 jobs at this facility, you know, uh, uh, an initial capital investment of $20 billion, which is just an absolutely astronomical number and, and talk that that investment in, in the complex could grow to a hundred billion dollars at full build out. So it's just an extraordinary project. Um, why we care about this thing happening in Columbus, Ohio was that according to Local economic development officials, uh, we were very much in the running for this development. And in fact, we were, according to them, basically the runner-up, um, which there's no silver medal for this. You know, it's all or nothing. And uh, local officials were pitching the Foxconn site, or at least a, in the undeveloped portion of the Foxconn site in Mount Pleasant and some additional acreage around it to be the site for this mega Intel chip manufacturing complex. Um, so that was a big story that we had pursued it and we struck out. Um, local officials were hopeful that the fact that they came so close meant that the Foxconn site has the potential to attract perhaps some other major economic development project of the like. Um, in the meantime, uh, the project in Columbus has been delayed. Uh, and apparently, you know, Intel was counting on Congress to pass a massive incentive package for chip manufacturing um, because there's been a major chip shortage. So, and... Uh, the, well, you know, there's your mistake. And, <laughs> counting on Congress. And, and Con well, Congress was hoping to incentivize more chip manufacturing in the United States as opposed to overseas. So Intel was expecting that to pass and be a major impetus for them to do a massive new chip plant in the United States. They chose Columbus to be the site for that. Um, that legislation has been held up. So the facility, which obviously will take time to build anyways, um, has been delayed a bit. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how that clears up. But 
for us here in southeastern Wisconsin, this was a a huge opportunity that um, we just missed on. Yep. And I have this Intel story as my number five as well. And, you know, I think it's really interesting. We're actually, we're coming up here on five years since um, the initial announcement of the Foxconn project um, and kind of interesting to see, you know, what, what has come of it versus what uh, was promised or pitched or um, planned uh, five years ago. Um, You know, it'll be interesting. There's been so much infrastructure an effort put into um, so much was planned around potentially making this site work for what was the initial plan, which was the the Gen 10.5 LCD manufacturing these massive TV screens, or even you know a Gen 6 plant, which was going to make smaller screens. Um, a lot of infrastructure, whether it's roads, sewer, water. I mean, they got in the um, the diversion from Lake Michigan water basin to be able to bring water out to that site and kind of straddles the subcontinental divide. Um, uh, the electric, you know, a lot of different pieces, which all adds up to that site being great for potential development. Uh, the question will be what can they get to come there? Um, and on what kind of timeline and do people at some point get impatient and want development for the sake of development? Um, because it's being, you know, kind of set aside for that. Um, or do we stay patient and, and find, um, a big project can, that can have the catalytic effect on, in terms of growing the region, attracting people, attracting people to, to work at jobs that exist? Um, that'll be the question is, is, is there the patience there to, to realize at least a portion of the vision that was initially cast for that site. So we'll have to wait. I think they have to be patient and and, and aim, continue to aim high. So much has been invested in, in the infrastructure down there, as you mentioned, they can't settle for just, you know, someone puts in a subdivision. (laughs) I mean, they they have to aim for a major economic development project and, and they have to be patient and and keep trying to get it. I, I, I feel that's really essential for what's been invested there. Yep. All right. So let's move on. Number four on your list. What do you have? Number four. Um, I chose Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino this spring announced that they are planning to do a $100 million renovation. Um, that is a massive, massive investment uh, in that facility, um, which will you know, include slot, new slot machine stations, uh, 1,800 of them, um, a new bar, um, re- new restaurants, um, you know, a number of other things. So, you know, there have been other casino properties uh, that have been developed in the Chicago area. There's a casino project in the works in Beloit. Um, I, I think Potawatomi increasingly sees that they need to remain competitive, <clears throat> even though they don't have competitors close by. They're the only game in town as far as gambling goes. But there are people who travel from outside of the area, be it the Chicago area or be it other parts of the state. And the fact that there are other facilities, you know, coming to some of those areas, they feel like they need to up their game. Um 
Also, they've been talking about adding sports gambling uh, and have received approval from the state to add sports gambling. So there will be a sports book at Potawatomi at some point, whether it's in this uh, expansion project or some other project. And there's going to be a lot of interest in that, I'm sure, when that when that comes online. Yeah, definitely. That'll be, you know, especially with it being available in Illinois um, to hop on FanDuel or any of the other apps. Um, It's kind of another thing they have to be able to add to be competitive Mm -hmm. um, in that landscape. So uh, speaking of entertainment, my number four on my list uh, is basically the, the story of indoor concert venues um in milwaukee uh, the announcement of the iron district uh which i believe we've talked about on this podcast the plans for fpc live um a lot of pieces to all of this um stretching back to initial plans for a, a indoor concert venue in the um in the third ward those were shelved now that project has gone over to the former bradley center site um and there's a separate project the iron district that would include a an indoor concert venue, a um, pro soccer stadium for an unnamed or yet to be named or to be yet to be created maybe team, um, and some housing and retail and lots of pieces um, just to the northeast of the Market Interchange. And the reason you know I'm putting this on the list is just the amount of kind of its development um, that that comes along with this, um, you know tens of millions of dollars. Um, and kind of the thing, I think actually Tim Sheehy spoke about this on our Leadership Lens podcast with him a few weeks ago. And he was talking about the idea of um, these kind of developments making making a, a city stickier, um, that it helps retain, helps p- keep people um, local, makes it so people don't go look elsewhere, go to other communities, other states, move move away. Um, and Milwaukee needs to keep all the people it can. Um, so exciting to see these developments continue. Um, and exciting for, to see them being announced, um, amidst a lot of uncertainty and, and challenging the broader economy. Um, some people kind of still betting on Milwaukee. Um, I think also we talked about the idea that, that I mean, Iron Dish, District was announced, um, not too long after, um, there was, you know, kind of, some high profile shooting incidents following a Milwaukee Bucks game. There's a lot of fear about mm. crime in the city of Milwaukee. And so you had people from outside of the city, um, Jim Kazmarek from Grafton, SR Mills from Kenosha, both kind of betting on Milwaukee um, at a time when maybe some others were kind of looking to kind of run away from the city. Um, so that's all, I think, a, you know, good reasons um, to continue watching this story and see how it develops in the coming weeks, months, years. Yeah, and the, and the FPC Live guys are from Madison. So it is exciting to see uh, people from other parts of the state um, showing confidence in, in Milwaukee despite challenges Milwaukee has had. Uh, you know, and like you said, it, it is vital that we have an entertainment and cultural um, quality of life offerings to attract and retain talent here. But this whole thing raises big questions about how many indoor concert venues can uh, our market support. Uh, we already have quite a few and adding two more, if assuming both of these would be built, um, 
because they might not both get built. You know, maybe it's a race to see who can get theirs built first, and maybe the other one might not come through. It'll be that'll be interesting to follow. Um, but just how many of these facilities can we support as with our marketplace? I Maybe mean, great if it, if we can support both and and retain other existing venues. That'd be great. But um, there may be other venues that aren't able to make it if if these new competitors come onto the scene. So. It's gonna be very interesting to see how it all how it all shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on. Number three on the list. What do you got? I have. Um, I go back to Milwaukee Tool, um, one of the most important companies, one of the most exciting companies in southeastern Wisconsin that we've been covering in recent years, because it's it's, it's a big company with a great brand that continues to grow rapidly and is creating uh, more and more jobs um, in the area. Um, they, they just this year opened a office in downtown Milwaukee. They have expanded um, numerous times at their headquarters in Brookfield. They continue to work on um, a, a campus that's uh, in the nascent stages of being developed in Menominee Falls. Um, and they announced in, uh, in May of this year that they are planning to create an additional thousand jobs in the state uh, by 2027. And that, that's, that's beyond, that's above and beyond plans that they had already announced. Uh, the announcement was done um, in conjunction with an announcement that the state would assist those plans um, by providing, you know, up to $22.5 million in tax credits. Um, those tax credits are dependent on the job creation. But just the fact that Milwaukee Tool, which has done a tremendous amount of expansion already, um, is looking to do even more, a lot more, is exciting. And it's been interesting that they've struggled to find the talent to fill some of these jobs. They opened a, an office in ch- downtown Chicago this year because they've had trouble attracting enough, um, particularly engineering talent, to fill the job openings they have here. But despite that, they still have big plans to create a lot more jobs in Wisconsin. And um, that's tremendously good news. So that's my number three story of the year. Yeah, that's, I mean, they're just growing, 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 growing. You know, it seems you keep thinking that at some point the the growth runs out, that, that the fact that they're going up against a big number kicks in and they can't grow 20% uh, at a time. And yet they keep going and going and it's certainly impressive. Um, And I mean, yeah, you wouldn't, you know, in an ideal world, are these jobs not subsidized by the state? Probably not. But, you know, we talked about the Foxconn project, which has dramatically under delivered its initial promise. You know, nothing that's come from Milwaukee tool has suggested they under deliver on these targets they set out and, you know, probably makes it a a pretty easy decision for the folks at uh, Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation to um, sign off on more incentive for them because they, they keep delivering. They they over deliver. Yeah. So my number three story um, is, um, well, maybe a little less on the job front um, as promising, um, Advocate Aurora Health announcing a big merger uh, with North Carolina-based Atrium, um, and you know, this is a significant deal um, 
for for healthcare in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, Advocate Aurora, um, you may recall, just a few years ago, um, uh, merged with it was Adv- Aurora Health mer- in based in Wisconsin, merged with Downers Grove, Illinois based Advocate Health um, to create a, a healthcare system that basically ran from Chicago up to Green Bay. Um, and that was one merger and they've, they've talked openly about kind of their desire to continue to get bigger. And this deal with Atrium, I think it was the, maybe the fifth largest healthcare system in the country that it would make them. Um, the bad news, uh, potentially for Milwaukee is that it takes the headquarters, um, would move at, uh, to North Carolina. Um, the CEO will stay the current advocate Aurora CEO for the next couple of years. And then the atrium CEO takes over. Um, so it's kind of a question of what does that mean for uh, jobs in and corporate presence in Milwaukee? Um, and in Milwaukee, I think is supposed to get a health equity institute um, in all this transition. And there's been a lot of discussion, I think, about what is this going to mean for um, for patients, for healthcare customers? Um in southeastern Wisconsin, in Wisconsin, when you have the, you know, the largest healthcare system getting even bigger. On the one hand, you'd think, well, they're bigger. That should allow them to have more buying power and purchasing power. And, and so that drives down their costs and that should get passed on to consumers. Um, but this is healthcare and mm-hmm. things don't always work the way they seem. Um, and so I think there's a, there is a healthy fear and a healthy skepticism of what it's going to mean for healthcare costs in southeastern Wisconsin, which is a big thing for, I mean, for everyone, but including employers who do pay a good chunk of that, uh, through insurance benefits. Right. We have, we have some of the highest, uh, hospital prices in the country. And, and we've already heard some prominent voices raising significant concerns about this deal. Uh, yeah, healthcare um, is a very different animal in terms of you know how business activity affects pricing. Um, it's it's very different in other industries. Um, I, you know, I, I think you know there tends to be a there's there's a gap between what the consumer is doing and, 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 and the cost and their knowledge of the cost and their ability to behave in ways that uh, help drive costs down. Um, so, and then of course there's, there's the concern about just seeing, you know, the corporate headquarters of Aurora continuing to erode and their, their presence in the area uh, shrinking from a, from a corporate point of view. So, um, yeah, it's, these are concerns that are certainly out there and we'll, we'll keep an eye on it, but that that is a major development for our region's economy without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's move on, uh, story number two on your list, Andrew, uh, what do you got? Uh, for me, it's the, the region's pursuit of the 2024 Republican National Convention, which um, as, as, as the days and weeks pass, it appears Milwaukee is becoming more and more likely that it will get 
the 2024 RNC, which is pretty extraordinary considering Milwaukee had the 2020 DNC. But of course, the DNC was a bust uh, due to the, the pandemic. It was a virtual event. So Milwaukee really didn't get any of the economic uh, benefit or even, you know, the kind of media attention, media notoriety benefit that was expected to come with that. Um, it was just a big, uh, it was a big nothing burger, really. And uh, the fact that Milwaukee may get another crack at it, may get another chance to host a national political convention is, is a huge opportunity for Milwaukee, both economically and, again, just raising the profile of the city uh, as a major big league city. Um, it's unusual for a city of Milwaukee size to get a national convention. So that would be a big opportunity, a big opportunity to show that Milwaukee can be a great host for any type of convention. If you can handle a national political convention, you can really handle anything um, in terms of your facilities and your your airport, your hotel inventory, and all that. Um, but, of course, because it's a political convention, uh, it, it comes with a it comes with the, the political side of it. And there are plenty of people in a city that uh, consistently votes Democrat that are not excited about seeing the Republicans come here. Um, and it seems like this, there's similar things happening in Nashville. Um, Nashville is the other contender for this, of course, and uh, they 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 appear to have cold feet, and uh, that could be that could be the the thing that clinches the deal for Milwaukee. I guess we'll just, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, certainly. I, mean, I didn't have the pursuit itself here on my list of, of the top five stories, but um, you know, for sure, if if it, were, it had been announced by this point, it would be on my list. Um, uh, you're waiting to see if we get it. I'm going to wait to see if we get it, you know, but I think that and that's really going to be the, the key story. If we do get it, how do you pull it off so that you get all of that economic benefit without any of, um, I wouldn't say the political pain, but any turmoil, any, um, issues, any, um, kind of, you know, conflict, um, how do you really maximize that benefit? And it would be a question, you know, I think that would have been a, in place for the, for the 2020 DNC too. It's a great, you know, to have all the dollars come flowing in um, when thousands of people come to town, but how do you use it to launch the city to another level um, in terms of people's exposure to it and understanding what, you know, Milwaukee is capable of? And certainly, you know, the folks at Visit Milwaukee and the Wisconsin Center District, and they're all, you know, they're all professionals and are good at marketing the city. Um, but that that's going to be a challenge um, if we do get it is how do you, there's a tightrope to walk and then you have to, you know, pull it off and pull it off well. You know, if you don't pull it off well, then, then you know, was it worth it? Did you do more harm than good? We'll have to wait and see. Um, first, we have to get it, but uh, we'll... We'll see where it goes from there. So, um, yeah. I think in uh, you know, so it's a politically charged country right now. So, security is would be crucial for whoever whoever the host of this event is. And I think this is part is clearly part of what Nashville is concerned about. 
um, is is making sure it's a it's a safe, peaceful event. Um, but if Milwaukee does get it, you're exposing the city to a lot of people who ordinarily wouldn't be exposed to it, and that's that's not a tremendous opportunity to capitalize on and, and, and get the word out about Milwaukee as a great place. Mm-hmm, certainly. Uh, my number two story um, is the, we, we didn't have Meredithon to talk about it, but Coles, uh, <laughs> and uh, we've talked about it a number of times here on the weekly debrief as we've had all the ebbs and flows of that. Um, and it's the whole saga of Coles that's, that we've had over the last six months or so, starting with pressure from activist investors to um, potentially sell the company or sell its real estate assets, um, pressure to to change out the board, a whole strategic review process that involved engaging, I think, 25 companies, um, several different bids um, from groups interested in buying coals. We talked about the, we've talked about the different potential implications of a major local employer, a major local donor, um, you know, going in a different direction. So all of those things, I think, add up to, you know, a thing that we've been following very closely. Um, and it's a, a bit, it's been a big story of the year so far. Uh, the only reason I didn't put it higher, um, is kind of, we think for now it's done, done-ish. I'm sure there's still some pressure, um, to perform and, and, question of how Kohl's will move forward, uh, but it's kind of done for now um, with the strategic review wrapping up and the decision not to sell to the franchise group, uh, which had um, had been negotiating with over the last three weeks or so. Um, so that was the only reason I had it at number two, um, but uh, certainly a big story over the first half of this year. Well, it is. Um, it's It's the number one story on my list. So that's, that's where I had it. Um, and it's just going to be interesting to see going forward um, as the dust clears from all this debate over the Coles board and should the company be sold and, or who could it be, should it be sold to? Um, I've said all along, and we've talked about this on this podcast many times. I've, I'm convinced that the Coles leadership had no desire to sell that company, that they, have a strategic plan that they believe in and, and they want to execute on. And they look for every possible, you know, their responsibility to consider selling the company, but they look for every reason not to, not to do that. And so now we will see how, how it goes as they try to execute this plan. They continue to add Sephora stores. You know, it's a big part of this move that they're, trying to position themselves as an active and casual lifestyle retailer. Um, and, and the Sephora offerings are something they really believe are, 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 are and will continue to bring in new customers to their stores. They're also talking about for the first time uh, selling some of their real estate, which was something some investors were pushing them to do to gain a cash infusion. Um, but that's risky because, okay, you get some cash from selling your real estate to sell a store, but now that store, you're now a tenant instead of an owner of that building. So now you have to pay rent for it. So you're going to have rent payments moving forward. So that's sort of a band-aid approach to me. I mean, the bottom line is Kohl's needs to do a better job of selling, selling products at their stores. And we'll see 
we'll see if they're able to do that. Uh, otherwise, um, the barbarians will be at the gate again, uh, demanding change. Certainly, yeah. Well, and, and my number one story, I think in a lot of ways, relates to maybe why the coal sale didn't go through or why it was easier for the company to justify um, not not pulling the trigger. Um, and that's, uh, I put it broadly under the headline of rising inflation and recession fears. Um, and the idea in the Kohl's case of, you know, interest rates have gone up, consumer spending kind of trending down. They cut their expectations for the second quarter. Um, you know, if the franchise group was going to buy it, they would have had to borrow money to do it. Um, borrowing at a higher interest rate makes it harder to make the deal, uh, come together. So maybe that's part of it. Uh, bigger picture in terms of why it's number one story for me. Um, it's kind of been this drumbeat of building and building and building. You know, I think, you know, inflation, we were at our mid-year, we were at our, our annual economic trends breakfast in, uh, in January. Um, I think we were getting around that time, you know, the inflation number for, um, for December, um, or in my mid November, but it was, we had gotten, the, you know, it was a big number that we'd gotten back then and inflation just keeps ramping up and up and up up to 8.6%, I think it was last month um, or in May. Um, and so it's just been this one thing after another, just building um, costs going up. Um, you know, I I live down in Illinois, so I'm paying even more for gas than everyone in Wisconsin. Um, in fact, I was just up over the 4th of July weekend and was excited to see, uh, you know, a four at the start of my gas price. Um, so that's, you know, what I'm up against. So. Um, you know, that's been ramping up and the you know growing fears of a potential recession. We had a story a few weeks back about bank CEOs, um, 60% of them expecting a recession. Um, we've got another story this week about um, business leaders, employers in the state from the survey came from Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. There's a survey of their membership, um, which isn't all businesses, but is a good chunk of businesses in the state. And I believe 71% expect a recession in Wisconsin within the year or within a year um, from now. Um, so these growing fears. And you know, reason I put it number one is it's this, this is the story that's going to continue to play out over the course of the next six months and, and probably beyond certainly um, is what, where does the economy go? What kind of, um, if we get a downturn, what kind of downturn do we get? Is it, you know, does the Federal Reserve manage to thread the needle and create a soft landing, or um, is it, you know, a prolonged and and painful downturn, or somewhere in between? Um, you know, I think it's a lot of remains to be seen. Um, you know, I guess the one question, all that, is what happens uh, on the job front. We've had this tight labor market for you know months now, coming out of the pandemic. And people, you know, demographics say that it's going to be hard to find people to work. Um, see what employers do. Do they try and hold on to people, um, even as cash flows get tougher, or do they do layoffs and and turn to that? So remains to be seen. But I think that it's really going to be the story of the second half of the year. Is where does the economy go? I think the labor market piece of the economic situation is is really interesting. 
Um, with all the recession fears happening at the same time, we have an extremely tight labor market. Um, I mean, that has to be highly unusual to have a recession at a time when the labor market is so strong. And in fact, the labor market may be the thing that either prevents a recession or perhaps more likely just lessens the the blow and the severity of the recession. So um, inflation, recession fears, those will be major themes of our upcoming mid-year economic report issue uh, uh, later this month. So we're working on that and we're going to dig right into all that. So please check it out. Yeah, definitely. We're, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this all plays out. So stay tuned to biztimes.com. Stay tuned to the BizTimes MKE podcast. We'll have more on it to come. For now, that's our top five stories uh, for the first half of the year. Uh, Andrew, thanks for uh, for doing the homework assignment with me, and <laughs> we'll uh, we'll talk to everyone next week. All right. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.